Korah, chapter 4. One thing I've found immensely interesting in my relationship with Korah, this quiet, imposing woman with such an interesting life, you never really know people, do you? I mean, not really. How can you? You know what they share, and you know what your first impression is. You know what your impression is as you know them a little bit. And then when you know them for a long time, you know them even better. But one thing I found fascinating through my time with Cora, the the cracks in the surface would break and things would come out. She would feel talkative and she would want to share things she trusted me, I suppose, or was just in the mood, didn't care anymore. I, who can say? But one afternoon, she began to talk about her her good friend, someone that that she cared about. And this brings me to the point of not really knowing your friends uh, always. <laughs> and she said that her friend that she had known for a long time, they were the same age, they shared many, many uh, things together. She actually met her through her work, Cora's work, when she was really forced to go to work to fend for her for her children. And, and she said uh, over time, she, she really did begin to uh, suspect that there were things in her friend's life that were secretive. Her friend's name was Lucille, and you called her, she said, Lucille. You did not call her Lucy. If you wanted to shorten her name, it was to Seal, which I prefer Lucy, but whatever. And she said, as time went on, Lucille was married, and Lucille had uh, an, uh, you know, an interesting life, Cora thought, but um, she said she she suspected that there were things about Lucille that, that she needed to know, and, and sure, or not that she needed to know, but that she suspected were there underneath the surface. And so she said one evening, they were drinking wine. Now, this surprised me because this was sort of out of character in a way for Cora to sit around drinking wine with this one friend and chatting about intimate secrets of their life. But what she shared with me about her friend was really fascinating. She said Lucille told her there were times in her life when life got rough where, like for many people, and she needed help. And Lucille's husband's brother, it seems, was a gambler. And not only was he a gambler, but he was kind of a crime boss a little bit. And not on a grand scale, but grand enough. 
And he he was the kind of man that wore the best clothes, the best shoes, hats. Men were wearing hats at this time, according to Cora. And drove the best car, the most imposing car. And uh, was kind of a heavy, if you know what I mean, in, in that uh, could put the scare into people who didn't pay what they owed and this kind of stuff. But Lucille shared with Cora that she needed him through different points of her life. She and her husband needed to lean on him for money and for help and even for food. And so they had to ignore his life of crime. And he ran gab- gambling establishments. He was the, you know, the man you see in the movies up in the office looking down to make sure that everything was legal, or was it legal? Um, and he worked his way up, according to what Lucille told Cora, through the ranks uh, in the crime business, from being the kind of guy that went around and collected money from vending machines and, and you know, threatening people uh, if they didn't pay up for their protection and and then worked his way up, proved himself to be reliable and, and loyal and keeping his mouth shut. And and she said, Cora said, that was the big thing with everyone. They had to keep their mouth shut about it. Well, all of this came to a very sad conclusion. It's which I think was something that was why Cora really brought it up, because it had a really tragic ending for uh, for Lucille's brother-in-law and his wife. He had made plenty of money. Now, the man carried 11 cents in his pocket. He carried a dime in one pocket and a penny in the other pocket. He did that for a reason, because he always had people, according to to what Cora told me, coming up to him and asking for money because he did have money, a lot of it. But he would always pull, empty his two pockets, one in each hand and say, this is all I have, but you're welcome to it. But the truth of the matter is, what Lucille said was that he really did have a heart of gold. It's it's like the, you know, the prostitute that has the heart of gold and even in Gone with the Wind, the, the brothel owner, Belle, uh, you know, comes to give to the cause. She said he was like that. He really did have a heart of gold. And he would really, if you really needed help, he sent help. He he managed to get help to people that needed it, but anonymously. Never did people know it was really him. Now, of course, Lucille and her husband, you know, knew what his life was. And they knew what he did for people. But he always did it anonymously because he felt that was the way it should be done, apparently. But here's what happened in this story that Cora was sharing with me about Lucille and her husband and her brother-in-law, Lucille's brother-in-law. He had made enough money, and he had married. He found the woman of his dreams after going through a a lot of actual call girls and floozies and, and all sorts of things, Lucille said. Uh, told Cora, he found the, a genuine woman that really wanted him for him. And she didn't even know about his life of crime 
in the beginning. She did learn of it, but she didn't in the beginning. She really just loved him. And of course, said Lucille told her it was easy to see why, because he had piercing blue eyes. He was a very handsome man and he presented himself so well with a very kind voice. And so it was, I guess it was too late when she found out his true occupation she was in and but he promised her he was getting out he had enough money and they could they could really move away uh, and live in obscurity he could leave this life behind and so they decided to start a family and his wife got pregnant with their first baby that was going to be their first baby and so he alerted the higher-ups in the organization that he had to get out. He had done it for years. He was, by this time, getting some age on him, and he wanted to have a, a regular life in obscurity. And they said, okay, you know, everything was fine. And, and he, so he began to set that all in motion the baby was on the way. It was almost due to be born. They had a, a new home that they had secretly purchased, so no one knew where it was. They were still living in the same place that they always had, but they had purchased their new place uh, in secret. And one morning, they were going to for her doctor examination, and they got in their big, huge car. And when he started it, it blew up. And they were both killed instantly. And at this point of, of this story, I begin to wonder <laughs> where where we were going to get to the really happy stories. You know, it's it that's such a horrible tragedy in Cora's life. So much tragedy, so much sadness. And uh, her her friend Lucille uh, felt free enough to talk about it, but to, to Cora, she said, but for many years, they kind of lived in fear because of her husband's relationship uh, with his brother and that he, he knew things and he did know things, uh, she said. So uh, nothing ever happened to them, Cora said. They lived uh, their lives and, their, and everything was fine, but it, it just proves the point that there are people around you in life that, of course, stories like this are rare, right? Aren't they? But uh, life is filled with intrigue and it's filled with interest. And that is why telling stories of people's lives is so important and talking about the stories that impacted Cora's life uh, are fascinating and need to be told. The story of Cora continues. <laughs>